Good evening, guys. Let's just let it catch up a second. While the stream pops up, there we go. Just give it a few seconds to catch up and then we'll get started. Get this shared. Um, I shall tag you. There we go. Good evening, guys. Um, as always, uh, thank you to my sponsors at No Mean City Clothing and Armour Scaffolding. Um, tonight, I am speaking to life coach, uh, maker of um, miracles, Kellen, Fl Kellen Flukiger. Um, and he's going to be sharing a bit about his life Um and we'll we'll see where it goes from there, and and have a chat. Good evening, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate my mic is muted, a little slow there. Thanks for having me, and I really liked it when I asked you about your audience, and you said true crime, you know. And I think about the list of people you mentioned, the kinds of folks that you've had on here, and whether or not things that people have done or inside or outside the law, I think often the real crime has been what we've done to ourselves yeah, and those that we hurt on the way. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I used to carry a lot of guilt and shame for that. Um, when I first got, got sober, I felt for the people that I'd hurt and I, I didn't understand why people didn't like me, even though I was a was was a villain, and so I always thought I was a bit of a nice guy. But you know, these chemicals they 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 change how our brain is wired, and um, you know, it, it changed how I was wired. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, what's your experience in that, mate? Well, I totally get it. When I was hardcore in my addictions, uh, <clears throat> the, everything has worked. I mean, at least for me, my, my, uh, my ability to make reasonable decisions and judgments and everything were completely wrong. And what you said about guilt and shame, th those are real things. I mean, whatever you did, whatever I did, people we hurt, lies we told, money or with people, property we stole and all that sort of thing. Those are real and they have real consequences and they really hurt people. The, the, the conundrum comes when you, me, I change and I no longer do those things, two things happen. And sometimes we connect those things and they're not really connected. 
One is all the people that we hurt have a choice to make, and we have a choice to make, and those choices are not related, and we often connect them. So all the people that we hurt can continue to hate us, blame us, and be angry at all the things we did, which were real and sad. That we hurt can continue to hate us. They can continue to carry that. This, the, the other thing is I, after I've changed, can continue to feel awful, blame myself, hate myself, and so forth. If I continue to hate myself after I've changed and done what I can to make amends, if I continue to hate myself, all that happens then is it limits my ability to do anything good. So you now have this show. You said you've done some 40 episodes. You're adding good to the world. You're telling stories, helping people to see who they are, to change perhaps who they are, and to get encouraged about doing something better. If you were still locked up, angry, blaming yourself, hating yourself, your ability to carry that message would be limited. So one of the most important reasons for us to have the conversation about forgiveness, including forgiving ourselves, is because after we've made a change to do something good, if we keep carrying the rocks in the backpack of hate and self-loathing, we're not going to be very effective at helping anybody do anything. Now, the other folks that are on the receiving, we're on the receiving end of all the rotten stuff we did or said, they're going to have to make that same choice. And that will depend on their journey, what they want to get rid of. They don't ever have to like us, but they don't have to carry the hate and anger anymore unless they want to because for the same reason it limits their growth and journey because hate and anger is poison no matter who's carrying it yeah yeah that that's that's the thing oh unforgiveness was it was a big one for me and um it it, it 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 turned out to be quite a perjure because um once i realize that things were out of my control and I couldn't control how other people think about me and, and knowing what I'd done. And actually, if I don't forgive myself, then it's, it's a very toxic thing. Uh, and it's, 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 it's the thing that's going to latch onto my traumas. And then I'm going to then end up going back and picking something up and I'm going to be back to square one. So I needed to, purge that um and to a point think if i don't mind that doesn't matter and give up that toxicity because unforgiveness the way that i had it explained to me is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die it's not going to happen um I so yeah my, my, um, you'd mentioned in the beginning before we started a little bit about story. So I might as well share some of my own journey. I, I started late, 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 late in the recovery business. I started, um, I, I was raised in a, uh, what some would have considered a sort of normal family. Mom and dad stayed married. My mom, well, they both, but my mom principally was kind of a religious fanatic. 
she enforced her views with discipline that today would be felony child abuse and we would have been removed from the home. Uh, in those days, it was discipline. And I remember things like hiding in the locker room at high school, getting dressed last because I didn't want anybody to see the fact that I was black and blue and, you know, that sort of thing. But the, and I'm not angry at all about any of that stuff. What happened because of that was two things. One, when I was very early teens, 13, I think my first time I started experimenting with drugs because I wanted to be not present. So I started things like sniffing gas and doing whatever that I could do by myself. So I had nothing to do with peer pressure. It was just me escaping. The second thing that happened was I internalized the, the, the doctrine, the truth that I'm not okay. I'm, I'm fundamentally broken and I'll never be good enough no matter what I do. And that was sad. It affected my grades and a bunch of other stuff, but I was blessed with a lot of brains. So I could have done really well. I did well enough to, you know, I went on to college, but my whole life, and I'll give some details in a minute, but from the time I was 13, just when I first remembered being depressed and frightened enough to do stuff like that until I was 53. So 40 years, I spent hating myself, trying to make a lot of money and get good positions in the world to prove I was okay to her, principally my mom, but everybody. And on the inside, hating myself. And that twist caused me to, I didn't know how to love. I went in and out of relationships. I was married and divorced three times. I had different stints with drugs, uh, in and out of rehabs, uh, with alcohol and drugs, whichever one was handy. The real addiction that I adopted was the addiction to self-loathing. Whether it was gambling and wasting money I didn't have, or cocaine, which at one point I had 3,000 bucks a week I was burning through, and I was making so much money, that was lunch money. So I knew how to make money, and it was one of those things where it's like a movie where the guy is some big dog, whatever, and behind the scenes, his life is a total disaster. That was, you know, my story. And so I burned through, like I said, multiple relationships. I had kids, some of them to this day, 10, I have 10 children. Some of them to this day don't, don't talk to me, but I don't care yet. I mean, I don't care, not because I don't love them because I do, but I got time and patience on my side. So at, at 53, after burning through all that stuff in and out of rehab and secret executive rehabs, the whole thing, all, all the stuff you see in movies and reading books. Yeah, I'm the poster child for all that crap. Finally, when I was in 2007, uh, I had a divine intervention. So if you think about the television show, the reality show intervention, it was like that, only it was a divine intervention. <clears throat> I didn't know what the reality show was. Uh, I never heard of it because I wasn't a TV watcher and I'm still not. I don't spend a lot of time on TV because I got a lot of other stuff I'd rather do. But here was the start of that change after life was that big of a wreck. 
one night on a Friday, I got home from work. I had was going to go out to some place I didn't know, start my weekend bender. And I, I used during a week, you know, all the time, but just got really, you know, continuous on the weekend. So I was getting ready to go out Friday night and it was about eight o'clock or something. And all of a sudden I had this desire to turn on the television. And I didn't watch TV. I had the biggest one you could buy because, of course, I was making a lot of money. So that's just what you have, right? The biggest one there, big old everything. Well, I had to ask when I had four teenage kids living with me, I had to ask one of them how to turn it on because I actually didn't know how. So one of my daughters turned the TV on and the program that it accidentally landed on was that program, Intervention. Well, I'd never heard of it. So I watched a few minutes and it was the protagonist, the guy that the show was about was a high ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I watched about 10 minutes and said, screw this crap. I'm not watching this. I turned it off. <clears throat> I went and did some other stuff for 45 minutes or something. And, and then I was getting ready to go out. And then for some reason I had this urge to turn the television back on. So now I knew how. So I did. I turned it on and that very same program, same episode started over. And no, I didn't have a DVR. No, it wasn't recorded. No, it wasn't scheduled. No, 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 and no. It scared the crap out of me. So I thought, okay, I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I watched it and it wasn't very interesting. The guy turned down all the help and it was a disaster and everything else, but it scared me. And so I didn't go anywhere that night. And I finally went to bed. I just thought, well, I don't know. So I was kind of pensive and I went to bed a little before midnight, 11 or something. <clears throat> I spent the night in hell. I had an experience out of body. I was gone somewhere. And before my eyes paraded all the things that my life had been. It wasn't in an accusatory, shouting, angry way. It was just there. At the end of an indeterminate period of time, a voice, not a yelling, just a voice, said, it is enough. I woke up, and it was Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock. So I had been somewhere for 17 and a half or 18 hours. I got up, and I realized this was an invitation in the most powerful way possible to change things. So I threw away everything that I had and I went from $3,000 a week to zero in one day, period. Straight up cold turkey quit. I also realized that I couldn't keep the jobs and the work that I had, <clears throat> that had to change too. So I didn't quit that day because that was Saturday, Sunday, I went back to work on Monday and I was trying to decide how to just leave. I mean, I had very, very high powered contracts and positions and all that jazz. And one of the artifacts of that position was that I used to get free stuff all the time, free box seats to this and tickets to that sporting events and front row seats to everything. And one of the tickets pair of tickets that I got was a ticket to a classical music concert. And the cellist that was playing was Yo-Yo Ma. Now, if you know classical music, 
you know that name. And if you don't, you don't. That's fine. But he's an electrifying person. And it was in the premier venue in Edmonton, Alberta, which is where I was at the time. I am now too, but I, so anyway, I had two tickets because they always give you pairs. And I was single again for the third time. And so I asked in the groups that I managed, does anybody like classical music? I always gave the other ticket away to whatever I had. And somebody in one of the groups said, I do. And it was a woman. And I said, okay, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. And I said, okay, fine. Here, I'll see you there. So I gave her the ticket and this was two weeks. Now the concert was two weeks after that other event. So I'd been stone cold sober for two weeks. We got to the concert halfway through. It was electrifying. It was great. Halfway through the concert, I had this intense feeling come over me that reminded me of what had happened exactly two weeks before. And the voice whispered in my head, um, <clears throat> you need to marry this woman. And I said, yeah, and you're insane. Uh, I've failed at that multiple times and other relationships besides this is not happening. Later that night, when the concert was over, of course, they were backstage passes. So we're backstage at the reception meeting everybody and the feeling and the voice came back and said, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And of course, again, I argued like, furiously because I thought I could be, you know, sexual harassment and she worked in one of my groups and all kinds of crap. And I thought this is nuts, but you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have imagined. Are you insane? And so two weeks later, she had her own set of experiences she resigned her position and so did i and we've been together now 14 years wow so not only was i told to quit the jobs and to dump the drugs and everything which i did i was given someone to help me which was beyond belief and generous she helped me through the last 14 years the first six of which I was sober now, but the first six of which I had to learn to deal with this depression that had been, I had never talked to anyone my whole life. So 40 years I spent in complete isolation, never speaking to a soul about the turmoil that was in me. It's just, you suck it up and you do it yourself. And if you talk about anything else, you're a weird and mental health had all the stigma and it's getting better now. But in those years, it was awful. And so you didn't, and I didn't. <clears throat> and her willingness to do that. I've often since asked her, what on earth? I mean, there were rumors in the office. Everybody knew I was not okay, but nobody could do anything about it. So what on earth made you say yes to such a ridiculous, insane thing? She said, I don't know. She said, I just knew it was the right thing to do. And I said, okay. So that's the start of... It was the end of the drugs. It was the start of the rehabilitation of depression, which had been untreated and never even discussed for 40 years. I'm still living with this. I hate myself and everything I've done. And it was more evidence. Look, I've now blown up this last thing, which was making me a million dollars a year and et cetera, et cetera. So 
that's kind of where the change started between all my life up to 52, 53, that time had been just one circle of sameness around and around and around, up and down the success, failure, self-sabotage, addiction, uh, ruined relationships, divorce, again, more success, more money, uh, more failure, more rehab, up and down, up and down, up and down until that time. So I could recite all those stories, but they all sound the same. Lying, pretending, hiding, lying some more, and you know the drill. So that's kind of the story before the change in 2007, which is now 14 years ago. I can, um, I can relate a lot to the, the angel, really, you know. Um, yeah, it's slightly different for me where I, I was homeless and I was going to a, uh, a local church on a Friday morning for a coffee morning. Um, and I was greeted by a friendly smile and a woman that served me coffee. Um, she liked my T-shirt. She took pity on me. Uh, she took me for a sandwich and she bought me food. Um, and we got married. Um, it'd be two years at the end of November. We've been together um, since 2014. So, yeah. You know, it's like she, she's, she's my angel. She, she was put there when I needed her. So what that tells me, <clears throat> your story and mine, and this is for anyone who's watching this later, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done or what's happened to you or what you have done to others. It, you, there may be cleanup to do. There may be all that. Yes, yes, yes. But no matter what has come before, it is never too late to decide to do something else and to matter and to make a difference if you choose to live into your own divine purpose. We are not here to fail, despite our best efforts to prove that we are failures. Yeah, um, that that I agree with. Um, one one thing that I've learned is that uh, when I was using and and um, even after 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 I gave up, um, I was in uh, you know I was a victim, victim of my own circumstance. And then when you go from victim, you go from victim to survivor. Um, a lot of people stay in that survival mode. Um, and, you know, it, it's good for keeping you on your toes and it's good for fight or flight, but that's not the net, you, you, you know, that's not the end of it. The, the natural progression is victim, survivor, survivor, thriver. Um, and that is what, you, you, you know, I believe we're now doing by sharing our stories, by carrying the message, by just um, educating, um, or even just listening. 
um, it's the progression. Um, you, you know, brokenness is a temporary condition. Boldness is a permanent position. And, you know, we have to stand up and we have to be bold. Um, had I not been bold, had I not overstepped fear, had I not faced those giants, I wouldn't be doing this today. I wouldn't have done the 40 or so podcasts. I wouldn't have written the books. I wouldn't have um, got involved in, in the films that I got involved in. And, you know, it's all because of stepping over fear. Um, and I, I, I couldn't even tell you when the point was when I stepped over fear. But once I did and then started looking at the traumas, I could start dealing with them. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, how do you step over fear? Well, I don't know. I, I, I had a, I have an example and I'm reaching for a book because I want to show you something. Um, I don't know if you step over it as much as wade through it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, it feels like you're wading in the muck and the drag of your fears and everything. Cause after working, you know, finally going to see somebody talking to counselors, working through this hate and loathing and uh, that I had for myself and the anger for the events that had happened that brought me there and all the other stuff. I finally decided I need to write it, needed to write a book and, and you have too. And I've written since that time, 15 and I have seven more that I'm in the middle of. Yeah. And the, one of the first ones that I wrote was tightrope of depression. My journey from darkness, despair and death to light, love and life. And I talk about all those miracles and all the stuff that happened in them. But when I got it finished in 2000, end of 14, <clears throat> I waited a year before I published it because I was afraid. Yeah. And I, what I was afraid of was that all the people that didn't really know what had been going on when I ha occupied those positions of authority and made literally billion dollar decisions, I was scared to death that there was going to be some lawsuits, repercussions, all kinds of stuff. So I waited a year to get the courage to publish it and to just talk about my upbringing and what had happened. And I got some, you know, I got some family members that are really angry. Some have denied that things happened. And it's funny, my sibs, my, there were two groups of three, the older three, my older sister, me and my younger brother. And then there was another group of three and there were seven years or so, or eight years between the two groups and the younger three, my, my mom, she grew up somewhere in there. She got married young and she grew up. And so the younger three had a completely different experience of childhood than I did. And my older sister, my sister, she's ruined. She's been single her whole life. She is very unhealthy, overweight, like hugely. And she's had struggles like mine, only no drugs. She didn't ever do the drug thing, but she's never been married, never been in a relationship, never been happy with herself, struggled all of her life. And now that I know enough, see all those years, I didn't know what was going on. Now that I've been through enough self-work, I can see the hallmarks of this 
sadness and depression all over her whole life. So her whole life was trashed. But anyway, the, some of the younger three that experienced something completely different are in complete denial. None of this stuff happened. No, you're just making all this up to excuse your own misbehaving, your own rotten behavior, your own failure in your relationships. You're making all this crap up so we, you can excuse that. And so, you know, there's been that sort of thing. But the thing I was really afraid of was other repercussions because of the jobs that I had and uh, what was going on behind the scenes. Anyway, that fear... I don't know that I ever stepped over it. I finally published it, but I waited in it. It kept me up at night. There were sleepless nights. I was scared to death to do it. And finally I published it. And that opened the floodgates. So since then, I, as soon as I got that published, I realized I was just getting started. So I wrote volume two, which is called Down from the Gallows. And I wanted to keep in the rope theme, you know, tight rope and down from the gallows and to tell more stories about recovery, about individual incidents and circumstances and things that happen to me, you, all of us, as we as we do the work to change the life. Like it's not a light switch. It's an iterative process. At least it was been for me where you got to grow a little and a little more and a little more and a little more and continue to make those decisions that move you from survivor to thriver, because there's so many people that do what you said, which is just sit there in barely surviving mode, white knuckling their way through another day, week, month, year, instead of putting themselves in a place to do the good they could do anyway. Yeah, I, I, I can really understand that, you know, which, especially with the fear about the book. You know, I, I learned to read and write at the age of 21. I, I grew up in a special school system. Um, so by the time I left school, I, I, I could barely read and write my name. But um, there, there wasn't a name for this, really a name for dyslexia when I was a kid, or ADD or ADHD. Um, so I was just put down as a naughty kid. So, you know, I, I learned to read and write as an adult, and then I always said that I'd got a book in me, but it was the fear that stopped me. I always had a head for words. I, I was always good with knowledge. I was always quite bright, but I couldn't. Ju I just couldn't write it down or, or, or read it, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I'd always like poetry, and I, my brain would work in the natural, natural poetic rhythm. So, I just. I'd written a load of poems through my life, through my addiction, through losing people to suicide and losing friends to murder, um, through my own um, depression and, and, you know, my, my own problems. I, I, I would write these poems, but I, I couldn't get my head around it. And then I was approached by a, an author um, who was writing a book about... Uh, a guy that I used to um, collect debts with and he asked, uh, he'd seen some of my poetry on Facebook and he asked me to provide um, a couple of poems for the book. So I did. And then uh, I did it for his second book. And um, then I sat down and I really looked at myself and I, I, I wrote my first book, um, A Personal Apocalypse. And it's 
basically my poetic memoirs of me in 2015 i i had tb um through the just punishment i put my body through um you know especially in homelessness and addiction so you know i've been with my partner for, for for a little while but i ended up with tb and i ended up in hospital um, I had TB, uh, double pneumonia, type 2 lung failure. Um, I stopped breathing for around about four minutes. So I ended up with brain damage through hypoxia. And I had a complete and utter total mental, physical and spiritual breakdown. And I was convinced that I'd given the world TB. And now Armageddon was... Um, was approaching and God was holding me accountable for all of my sin. And he was, you know, it was, I could physically hear people talking about me holding the kangaroo car outside the door. Um, I would hear nurses saying they were going to torture me. This was so deep rooted through fear and shame and, and just, just the, the hurt that I'd put people through. Uh, and then when I finally did come through it, it, it took about two or three weeks and I started to come through it. And I was six down six. I wouldn't eat. I, I you, you know, I, um, that's about uh, 80 pounds, <laughs> you know, and um, wow. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't function. And I, I found God that day. You know, I'd, I'd messed with religion for, for, for a long time, but I, I, I found God that day. And that's where my, um, uh, you know, life began to change. I got involved with church and the um, community and, and, and things like that. And then I got, got the, you know, I, we have this thing at our church um, called the School of Supernatural Life. Um, and it, it teaches about things like facing giants, overstepping fear, uh, unforgiveness, and knowing who we are, uh, our true identity. Um, because addiction and trauma robs us of identity. It robs of us as, as who we are. And I spent many years pretending to be other people. So I didn't even really know who I was. So it was all a learning curve. Uh, and overstepping those giants was right in this book. Um, I did rush it out. There are a few errors in there. But at the end of the day, I, I did it and it gave me the confidence to carry on. And then I spent six months working with escapees of human trafficking, um, which then allowed me to look at my own trauma, my own sexual abuse from school. Um, and then I started working with that trauma. And then I, um, in 2016, my two-day-old niece was beaten to death by her father, who was then murdered in his prison cell some months later, which broke me, but I stayed clean, I stayed sober, and I worked with my trauma, and then I got involved with someone else that um, had, she'd lost a father to, to a hitman, um, and we wrote a book together, 
Um, and it, that's all part of my, not just my recovery, but it's it's the building blocks. I was always, I was always told at school, not just at school by my teachers, uh, but by family and well-meaning family, that I would never amount to anything. And I believed that these are the lies that we believe, and and the addiction and the uh, self-loathing and you know all these lies that we believe about ourselves. I'll never be good enough. Um, they won't like me. Um, you One know. of my favorite was, well, if they only knew. Yeah. In other words, you're putting up some front and you're like, yeah, but if they only knew, fill in the blank, X, Y, Z, then they'd hate me, then this, that, and the other, if they only knew. I, I love what you're saying and yeah. resonate with me completely. Mine was if they only knew. Yeah, I mean, and then you, you you'd start doing good and then you'd sabotage it because you don't think you deserve it. I don't deserve this success. Never mind the work that I've put in to get where I am today, but those demons inside, that unforgiveness inside, that addiction to self-sabotage um you know uh and it is a form of self-harm um uh, you know it, it brings us to you know there are so many books that i could have written um i had a two-year waiting list at one point of people wanted me to write but the way that my head was uh, and my depression was and i still you know to be honest, I still suffer with my mental health. Um, I still suffer with complex PTSD. I, you know, I could say I still, I still, I still, I still. Um, these these things are part of my life. These things are, are the things that the giants, the demons that I'm working to slay. Um, and I believe that to do that, there's that doing this. There's a very cathartic um resonation to it um talking about it uh you know uh, a couple of weeks ago I, I spoke to someone that lost his brother to murder i've spoken to other people that have lost people to murder um i've spoken to people that have been accused of murder you, you know it's it's all a part of education we need to self-educate and it's about you, you know, for me, it is about identity. I know who I am now, and I know who I was, but I don't know what I'm yet to be, because that's still in the future. Uh, to a point, I live to a 12-step program. I have to, um, but I don't know where this is going to take me, if it'll take me anywhere. I just enjoy sitting here talking. I enjoy listening uh, and I enjoy entertaining and um, educating. And that's good enough for me. Even if one person watched these, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy. Um, you, well, you, you know, the phrase, a phrase that I use, I love what you're saying. And <clears throat> there's a several points of resonance with me because of the stuff that I've done, and it sounds like you too, I've, I've felt compelled 
<clears throat> because I have been given the opportunity to change, to rescue, to whatever it is. You found God. Each of us find that change impetus in the way we do. And then after that, the voice calls, the feeling, the desire to do something good. And so you create these conversations to give hope, to give people examples of a way forward. Because when you sit by yourself, you know, everything looks gray, black, you can't, can't work, can't see, can't, you know, can't move. But when you hear and touch you and the people that you interview through your stories and me and the people I talk to, and I do it as much as I can, it's to give the message there actually is a way out of this. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're in jail right now. I don't care if you're in the middle of your addiction right now. Today can be the last day. Tomorrow is blank. You can, everything won't change all at once, but you can change 1%, 2%. Like the, the commitment often isn't, I'm going to change everything. The commitment might be, I'm just going to go talk to somebody. I'm going to take control instead of being a victim. I'm going to move an inch from victim towards survivor or an inch from survivor to thriver. I, I'm going to, why? Because I said so, because I've had enough of this other way and I won't be that anymore. I don't know exactly where I'm going, but it isn't that. It's a little bit more in the direction of light and the direction of love and the direction of forgiveness and the direction of opportunity and the direction of possibility instead of in the same direction of dead ends and brick walls and death. And, and you know, there's a saying, there's only one place that this goes, prison or death. And that's the truth. And people can pretend as long as they want to that that isn't where it goes, but that's where the road goes. So your opportunity to get off the road is ever present. And you can take step one right now in choosing to listen to this, to other things that say, wait a minute, maybe there's something else I can do. And my own change, which was dramatic and ongoing, and yours, which was dramatic and ongoing, some are dramatic and some aren't. But the, you know, my whole practice, my coaching practice, my business, the work that I do is really centered around one thing. And that is to help each person I talk to, as many in a day as I can, to understand who they really are and what that means. And I don't care where you've been and how bad the paint is on it. I don't care. You are still a divine being. You have an opportunity to do something different. Start now. It's never too late to matter, to change, to affect that one person you talked about. And maybe it's two and maybe it's 10 and maybe it's a million. I don't know, but we're not going to find out if we don't start with ourselves and moving out of that victim and taking a step towards improvement, change, growth, surviving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it always seemed <clears throat> counterintuitive for me at the start because 
my whole life I lied to people, I lied to myself. And, uh, you know, the, the, the first thing that I wanted was how, how do I do this? Well, how? Honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. I had to be honest with myself and with other people. And with other people, it was slightly easier. I could say, look, I've messed up. I'm sorry. But I couldn't do that to myself. I couldn't apologise to myself. I did that whole thing, you know. So that, that was hard. Open-mindedness. Well, you see, when you're using, and you know, when I was using, and when you're in survival mode, it's, it's single-mindedness. You know, you've got your eyes on one thing, one thing only. You've got prison vision, tunnel vision, whatever you want to call it. And um, it was, I, I had to get my head around that. And then willingness. Well, yeah, it's all right knowing about it, but then it's, you know, and being willing to learn, but you've got to be willing then to put it into practice. Because un unless you put it into practice, it don't mean anything. So, you know, that's, that's, that's why I had to do. That was the hardest thing. Um, and a lot, some people might watch this and they might not have had a, a, addiction problems or life problems or whatever. But I don't know me, anybody that hasn't had problems. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know any, I mean, even serious ones. One of the things that I discover as a coach is how many people, maybe they're not themselves in the middle of this, but they've got a relative that's got cancer and they're screaming why, and they've got a, a child or a niece or a nephew that is being hit by a car or was accidentally killed or has got some terrible affliction and, and they can't understand this. And so they get in the victim mode and they get in the blaming mode and then just i'm surprised how often how much it is true that every single person has got something going on that to them is a giant mountain mm. and maybe it didn't involve drugs or chemicals or substances or crime or thievery or brutality or anything else but to them it feels like the end of the world yeah and that's why I called it my, my book, um, A Personal Apocalypse. Yeah. Because that's what it was. It wasn't just that I had these grandiose thoughts of, you know, I'd cause the end of the world. But really, it, it was. It, it, it was tearing down of the world that I knew. It was the last remnants of the life that I'd lived you know, and the crimes that I'd done and the people that I'd hurt. It was because before we can have new life, we must have death, death of an idea, death of a habit, death of a bad way of thinking. We have to, well, I had to, um, I mean, for me, it was dramatic as actually dying. But, you know, that old me 
is gone and and there are people that will never ever believe that and you know what that's really okay that's 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 fine um you know uh maybe they can't forgive me but i can forgive myself because if i don't i become ill and i start acting up in different behaviors um and it it's about breaking that vicious cycle that we get caught in um i, th I think anybody can get caught in a dangerous behavior whether it's a way of thinking uh, whether it, you know, it's not just a, a addiction to drink or drugs. It could be addiction to a way of thinking. It could be addiction to religion. It can be addiction to pornography. Um, you know, it can uh, be a, a addiction to people, places and things. Um, that, that's what people don't realize. They think that, you know, they look and they think that a junkie is a junkie and, and that is it. And it's not. And we, you know, we, we do need to educate. One of the things that I, you know, my primary purpose is, um, as, uh, you, you know, as what I do is not just promoting better mental health and recovery for, for people, but for men in general because where I'm from, the north of England, originally, um, you, you, it happens everywhere, that there is a toxic, there's a toxic belief. Men should be this way. Men should supply for the family. Men should think this way. Men should think that way. Men, you should man up. Um, and all these things, all these toxic things, these toxic behaviors, these, um, you, you know, they, they, they poison us. And then it, it gets, you know, the real pandemic is, um, it's, is, is the lies that we spread by not knowing the lies that we, think about ourselves the the toxicity that we live in the masks that we wear right know. the real ones and the phony ones you know i'm surprised also i'm not surprised to hear you describe your life experience death experience it i'm i'm um continually I won't say amazed, it's the wrong word, but continually find that people that have had big problems and make radical shifts do it through a, a death, an experience of death or near death or partial death or something like that. And that does change people. It does change you. It changed me when I had that situation. And three years ago, another one of my books, Meeting God at the Door, I actually got infected with a fatal disease. And in the summer of 2018, which is three years ago now, I died. My heart stopped in the intensive care unit at, at the University of Alberta Hospital here. I had three conversations with God. And these weren't in the context like the original one 14 years ago was, hey, you know, change. This was just, I got this illness that was fatal and it killed me. 
and should have. It had a, the doctor told me later, it had a 10-day mortality rate of 100%. <laughs> well, I got to the hospital on the end of day five. So the fact that I, you know, went into a coma and my heart stopped was not a surprise. They expected me to die. What they didn't expect was that when they tried to restart my heart, it worked after I'd had one of these conversations and agreed to come back. And then I was able to, you know, recover. I lost a ton of weight in the hospital. When I got out, I couldn't walk. So a number of similarities to that and those choices uh, are what is so important. And, you know, you mentioned all the addictions I use. I've been through 12 step. My wife and I facilitated for two and a half years, a 12 step group that was sponsored by our church. I use addiction metaphors in my my coaching work with clients that have never had anything close to a substance problem, because what you said about our addiction, our compulsion, our connection to a repetitive story about ourselves is the foundational limiting belief that prevents us from doing more, being more, creating what we want, whether it's happiness, better relationships, wealth, or whatever. The fact that we believe we can't, that we're not able to, that we're not worthy, that we can't have that. Somebody maybe, but not me. It's too late. I suck too much, whatever it is. That foundational belief is an addiction. And what I mean by that is you you feel compulsively attached to it. It is your default go-to, the story about yourself and about what you can do. And that's exactly how chemicals work when you're feeling that compulsion for another hit of, I don't care what it is, gambling, porn, drugs, alcohol, whatever. That compulsion is just as powerful and more insidious when you are addicted to the stories of your own worthlessness, not good enough, not fill in the blank enough. And changing that is your greatest opportunity. Your choice here right now, as you listen to this episode, whether it's now live or in a week or a month or a year, just ask yourself, who would you be without that story? Like, who would you be if you didn't believe any of that? If you believe something completely different, what would you do? Well, I'd do this and this and this. People answer that easily. Well, if I didn't think this, the doing is the hard part, as you said, but it starts with at least identifying the things you're addicted to, your beliefs, your stories, and then just who would you be without that story? Yeah, because one thing I've learned is, you know, I've mentioned, I've spoken a lot about disconnection um, and, you know, addiction is uh, disconnection from yourself, disconnection from your family, disconnection from God. Uh, And when we, um, or a higher power, if you you know, if you want to call it that, but um, when we get into recovery and we start changing the way that we think and the way that we live, um, we start gaining those connections back. Um, 
you, you know, through events, through doing things, through repetition, what, what, you know, through learning, whatever. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in, in conscious contact with God as I understand him. And I spend a lot of time within um, my uh, church setting, especially now we're allowed back into church um, because for a long time we weren't. And it was only online services, which I really struggled with. And I got disconnected from that because I couldn't get my head into watching them. Um, you know, so it's about creating that you know, connection again um, through prayer, meditation, through reading, through communication. Um, we, without all these things um, that are in place, I wouldn't have been able to even take step one, I don't believe. Um, Something I love to give people People ask often, okay, fine, you did this. How, how do you do that? And I, one of the things I help clients with is I help them create. Like, like if you're going to go do something and you feel well prepared for that thing, whatever it is, you're going to play the piano and you practice a lot and you feel well prepared. You're able to do it. Your head's in it. You feel better. Okay, if you're well prepared for a test or a conversation or anything, if you're well prepared. So what if you decided, and this is something I do and I love now, to do something every day to prepare myself for the day? I call it a morning routine or a morning ritual. So I have a morning routine that I do every single day. And it only has one purpose. And the purpose is to prepare me so I can have the best possible day. And I use a, an acronym, SPEM, S-P-E-M, spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental. And my ritual is longer than this, but to start with, just 10 minutes in each of those areas, 10 minutes doing something that connects you with higher power, God, whatever you call it. 10 minutes honoring your physical body. It can be stretching. It can be yoga on the floor. It can be anything. 10 minutes connecting emotion. E is relationships. We've got phones. You can think of five or six people to send love, kindness, a text to. Or if there's a repair attempt you need to make on a relationship, an apology or whatever. And then M is mental. I've got a stack, three stacks of books right over there, 30 or so that I'm in the middle of. And I read a chapter or two, just a small nod and touching all of the areas of your life allows you to be more prepared and to prepare yourself to live a better day, a more thoughtful day, a kinder day, a day full of spirituality, of kindness, of, of doing good. I use the phrase, add good to the world. So if you're looking for, okay, fine, how do I do this? Start with a small commitment to yourself to, to prepare yourself for each day, just like you would for anything. And I've discovered, at least for me, that, that the more I do it, the more powerful it gets. 
And I do it every day and every day and every day. And I look at my calendar and I think about who I'm going to talk to and if I've got clients or if I'm going to do a podcast or if I'm going to write something in one of the books. I think about those things and prepare. And I find that it, the day goes better. The production is better. I'm happier. Things go better. So that's just something to think about. Create yourself and play with it till it works for you. But create yourself a morning ritual, a routine, a preparation process that makes you better for the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's just a bit more simple. It, it's just getting up on a morning, um, having a coffee, um, and between taking the boy to school and uh, on the school run and coming home short walk um i can spend time on conscious contacts with god um you know talking to him uh, sometimes um anxiety is there and i bury my head in my phone so i don't have to look at people or talk to people um but i'm scrolling through facebook networking um, you know, looking for the next podcast, um, looking for the next subjects, you know, so I'm always sort of, I've got a very busy mind, um, you know, and it's, um, it's not really easy to calm. Um, and it's, I do sometimes blurt out what I want to say, but it's because I have to really concentrate on what I'm saying um, and concentrate on doing it. This is why I like doing this as well, because it helps me just focus on the one thing, um, which is the conversation between me and you, me and uh, you know any, any other guests. Um, because it's it's a way to for me to focus or when i'm at the church and i focus on um worship or um you know helping somebody understand what they need to understand within the literature or you know whether it's alpha uh, you know uh, we're about to start an, start an alpha course on uh, on thursday uh, so you, you know whether it's sitting down and sharing my story or sitting down and, and watching one of the alpha film series and then discussing it with other people it's these are all the ways that i can focus on on one thing it's probably why i don't get many books written either because i have so many ideas and i get really really inspired and then I'll have like 10 books that I want to write. So my work in progress folder is full. But I'm sure my, it is. But my actual work, there's probably about two or three that are ready for editing. So. Right. You know, but you're doing good. You're adding good to the world. You're making the effort you need to, to stay focused and do something. I mean, there's so many people whose work in progress folder is all they got. Mm. Finished folders empty either the stories or whatever the, you know, whatever the things are that keep it, keep in, in their way, you know, and I'm just, I'm grateful for the good that you're doing. I'm grateful that you're in your church and you're trying to help somebody understand this and that you're trying to do these 
episodes to help people realize that it's never too late and that I mean, start where you are because you can't start anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I suppose one of the most addictive things that I've still got is procrastination. Um, and it is, you know, to the bane of my wife, I think, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do it in a bit. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. And, and that has, to a certain extent, transferred on the kids. And I do feel bad about that. You know, I'll, you know, you ask them to do something, they'll say, we'll do it later. And then you get caught in that, you know. Um, but it is about focus. Um, what I want people to know is um, how to split your focus and how to focus on something because there are people out there with much busier minds than me. There are people out there that are, are trying to get around to not using or, you know, they've still got things in their life that they are tied to. So what would you suggest um, for someone like that, that might have a really busy mind that, that focuses on other things? Can you just you know suggest anything that you know they might be able to I, do? To I, I here's what I every single person that I know has a way bigger list of things that they're going to do to do list than they can ever get to. What I find is that when I have a million things on my list or a hundred or however many. And then I go look at it and it's discouraging and maybe I'll do one or two and then I add five and it always feels like you're behind. So here's a game that I'm going to show you or tell you about and invite you and whoever's watching to play. At the start of the day, pick only three things. I realize there's a hundred. Pick the three that you want. Uh, maybe they're the three most important for that day, but only three. And they don't have to be big enough to fill the whole day or anything. Just pick three things. And I call those your non-negotiables. <clears throat> non so I'm going to pick three things. and I get to pick them. And then I go do them first. And when I get those three things done, I realize there's 284 more on the list. That's fine. I get to declare victory. I win today. The way we live the other way with a list of things and it's over intimidating and it's too long, we feel like we lose every day. I got seven things done and I, had, I put nine more, or 15 more on the list. I'm never gonna, that's a discouraging way to live. So instead, pick three, call them your non-negotiables, do them first, and then you can declare victory. After you declare victory at one o'clock in the afternoon, two, whatever it is, then you have a choice. You can sit and put your feet up and stare at the ceiling and do nothing. Or you can look at the list and say, I already won today, so I'm going to pick one more because I can. And anything you do after those three is extra credit. That mental framing can allow you to set up every day to win. 
instead of every day to lose because there's too much to do because everybody's got too much to do, some worse than others. And you may find, uh, what I find is I actually get more done because then I can do this one and I can do this one. The thing that's important is how it all feels because I feel like I did what I said. I won today and I can do a couple of extra ones if I want to. And so you end up feeling like you win every day instead of like, I lose again. I'll never get caught up, never, et cetera. So that is absolutely one mindset change that's not difficult to make. And if you pick three and they end up way longer than you thought, then pick smaller ones tomorrow. Like no drama, just pick littler ones that you know you can get done and declare victory. Create a feeling of winning. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess it's like, um, for me anyway, is 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 like prison mentality, and you know, especially when you're you're in solitary, um, because you have to keep your mind busy, otherwise you'll go mad. Um, I used to be able to deal with that. I used to be able to deal with the confinement. I can't now, which is why I really struggled with uh, isolation, but. Um, you, you know, you find things to do with your mind, you find games, you um, you do exercise, you push up sit-ups, um, count, you know, dots on the wall, um, you know, look at the ceiling, make pictures in, in the thing, just to keep your mind, you know, working. But then that that's i suppose that's part of survival mode but the sort of flip side to that is that you can get caught in your own mind and in your own prison and that's where you know that that's where isolation for me when covid first hit that's where it it it, um it floored me. I'll be honest. It, it did. It absolutely floored me because I had so much that I thought I wanted to do and that I thought I could do, but I couldn't concentrate on it. So all I did for three months was watch, you know, eighties and nineties films all day, every day while the kids were at school. I got nothing done whatsoever. Um, that was the only way that I could not be in that prison of my own mind. Um, because it wasn't that I had writer's block or anything like that. It's that I couldn't even concentrate for five minutes on something like that, where I could just sit and zombify in front of the laptop and and, and watch films. And that's now I know that is dangerous behavior. That's, you know, getting caught in that and it's really easy to do that it's really easy to get caught in that frame of mind it's really easy to get locked in that mental prison um but it's not easy to get out um you know and i guess what i like to do with with these is is give people 
um, ideas on, you know, what to do um, if they're in that sort of mentality or if they want to pick up or, you know, if they're feeling vulnerable or, or, or let down. These are only suggestions that I make. I can't, I'm not in a position to tell anybody anything. I can't say, you do this, you do that, blah, 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 blah. Um, because, you know, I'm in no position to do that. I've made so many mistakes in my life and I continue to make mistakes. That's the thing of being human. Um, you know, so I can only make suggestions because these things work for me. They might not work for everybody else, but these work for me. Um, you know, they work, you know, the things that you do work for you. Um, and we need to educate that. You know, there's one other thing about procrastination. You said I, uh, there's a game that I will give you as a suggestion also. And that is I chose, this is a choice I made. I chose to label myself and I don't label like labels or anything, but a fun label I put on as I'm a do it now guy. So what I did with my wife, since you mentioned that, what I do with my wife is I have chosen every single time she says anything, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to set down whatever I've got in my hand. I don't care if I'm on the way to the garage to put this or that away or whatever, unless I'm late or not late, but up against a client call or something that I have to do right now, unless that, I'll just do it right now. And now that's turned into a game because I say to her, I'm going to do it right now. Well, you don't have to No, right now. You, you, you said it, I'm going to do it right now. So now it's turned fun because I just decided to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. So yesterday she asked me for a, uh, I'm going to teach a class this coming Friday to people who are coaches about finding clients. So just some marketing stuff. And yesterday she asked me, I need three things that you're going to teach so I can do the marketing material. She's my business partner and she helps with our online stuff. So I went down, I, my office is downstairs. So I went downstairs, sat at the computer and wrote them right now. And so literally in five minutes, she had them in Skype. We communicate back forth to Skype, written, all done, organized. And she wrote back and laughed. And she said, I love the fact that you write now. But it was just a game that I decided. And I decided it for exactly the reason you said. I don't want to remember it. I don't want to fight with when am I going to do it. I don't want to fight with any of that. So I'm just going to set all that aside and I'm going to do it right now. Why? Just because I can. I don't owe anybody. Nobody said I had to. Nobody told me. I'm just going to do that. And so I played that game with myself and it's turned out to be a lot of fun. And also everything gets done right now. And then I never have to remember it. I don't have to put it on my list. I have to do any of that crap. It's done right now. <clears throat> so that's one thing that I did for fun to change procrastination is just decided I was a right now guy. I'm going to do it right now. And I literally mean right now. I've been known to just put some stuff down and do whatever it is right now and come and pick it up. That's, that's, that's a great idea. That's, that's, that's something that I would never have thought about, you know, 
uh, you know, I mean, people have said to me, you know, well, if you got up and, you know, if if you did it, then it's don't, you know, when I say it to the kids, you know, when they say, oh, I'll do it, do it later, you, you, you know, you say, well, if you do it now, you don't have to do it later. <laughs> you know, it's done. And I can say that to the kids, but it doesn't click in my mind because I guess part of that toxicity is, well, I'm the parent, you're the child. And I think that's one thing that I need to look at. You know, I know I need to look at that. Um, you know, I'm always open to learning, um, especially about parenthood. Um, you know, I've, I've been a parent for quite, quite a long time. And uh, yeah, it's, it, but it, it's, it's only like you saying that now, that's just made it click in my, my head. Um, thinking, well, that's what I say to the kids, but I don't do it myself. So we'll make it a game. It's just an idea. I just declared and I told her, my wife's name's Joy. I told her, so I'm going to be a right now guy. Anything you ask me to do, I'm going to do it right now. Why? Just because I can. Just because I decided I'm going to be a right now guy. So don't ask me anything you don't want right now. And so, you know, it's fun and it makes us laugh. And so it fixed that problem and we made it a game. So that's how I, it's one little idea. Um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure my wife would, um, I mean, she is watching. I, I'm really sure that she'd, she'd appreciate that. Um, well, it's for you. <laughs> You do it if you want to, for you to decide, you know, don't do it for somebody else. I did it for me. I've just decided I don't want to remember and I don't want anybody. I just don't want to. I've just decided I'm going to be a right now guy. Mm. That's, 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 that's great. That's really, you know, that's really great. I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just having a look through the uh, feed to see if there's any questions, because I know we, we do get questions every now and again. Um, yeah, let's do that, because I I've um, I didn't know how long we were going to book, so I've got to be done here pretty soon. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Um, any questions, let's do that, and then let's wrap it up. Yeah, I really yeah. really appreciate your work that you're doing and the chance to be part of your project. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on, um, you, you know, and it, it, it's nice to be able to speak with somebody of a similar mindset, um, you know, especially from a different country as well. It, it's, it's great. Um, I don't think there are any questions, but it's, it's more there are um, people that are just getting involved in, in, in the chat. Um, let's see. Um, Michelle Whiteford says hello been clean for two plus years and i'm working on myself every day that goes by striving and thriving every day positivity all the way it's the best way i think uh, dealing with my trauma today um but need to forgive yourself and others even if you don't want to i, th I think that's a big one i, I think I, do. I love that you do you, the forgiveness is just so that you can be a whole person and do good because like you said earlier, if you if you don't, you're carrying the poison. Yeah. Yeah. And it just doesn't it, it doesn't just affect us, does it? It affects the people around us. You, you know, if I've got the poison in me and I'm in a bad mood and I bite my wife's head off, 
that's going to affect her day. And then that's going to affect, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to bite the kids head off and, and, and they're going to be mad. And that, you know, and that it's, it's, it's got that consequence, hasn't it? So. Absolutely. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Uh, Michelle Whiteford again saying that's absolutely amazing. Um, we're all we're stronger together. Um, yeah, uh, and then people speaking between themselves. Um, where can we find your books? We'll, we'll finish on this, uh, and then I'll cut the feed. We'll just have a quick chat, and then. Right. Um, we, we can get on. Um, where can we find your books? Um, My name is Kellen Flukiger, and there are only two in the 8 billion people in the world named Kellen Flukiger. So I'm not hard to find. Uh, books and music that I've done are on Amazon. If you Google my name, there are thousands of hits because of the re executive positions I had and the things that I've done. Uh, Facebook, I'm not hard to find. I put stuff on my wall a lot. So Facebook, um, Amazon's got all the books and music, and they'll have more as I finish more stuff. And I'm happy to communicate through Facebook Messenger. I have a website, which is my name, and there's all kinds of resources there as well. So www kellenflukiger.com it was not difficult to get my own name because nobody has it <laughs> the only other one in the world is my son so uh, that's it so it's, i'm easy to find brilliant i will put links in this um, over the next day or so we'll get this shared we'll get it shared on some groups um, it'll be on uh, YouTube in a few day, uh, within a few days. It'll be on my website jwgreg.wordpress.com, um, and it will also be on um, all the major podcast outlets like Spotify, uh, Anchor, Google Podcasts, uh, etc. Greg is that with two G's? G R E G G J W Greg? Or? No, just one G. J W Greg. Okay, cool. G R E G. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Kellen, for um, coming on and sharing your wisdom uh, and sharing your, uh, you know, experience, strength and hope. I've personally got a lot from it. Um, you know, um, I've learned something new tonight. Um, and, I, you know, uh, I would like to do a part two at some point. Um, okay. I think that'd be great. Uh, you know, um, yeah, guys, as always, Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for um, watching, um, getting involved. Uh, thank you to my followers, uh, my subscribers. Um, it means, uh, you, you know, your support means uh, a heck of a lot for me. Um, with that, as always, I will say good night and um, I shall see you on the next podcast, hopefully within the next week. Cheers, guys. I'll speak to you soon.